Amen. Uh, I, I love this day. Uh, I love January 22nd. I have for 16 years. This is my wife's birthday. She's 25 today. Uh, and, uh, and Casey, I don't know where you're sitting today, but um, that you are, you're just a woman who embodies beauty, creativity, power, boldness, courage. I thank you for the gift you are to me, to this church, and, and to the world. I love, I love being your husband. Uh, but not only do I love this day because it's January 22nd and it's my wife's birthday, which by the way, I told her she could not skip church today just because it's your birthday. Uh, and, and she said, uh, I don't want to, uh, and a few weeks ago, she even signed up to be a prayer leader. She said on my birthday, I want to make myself available to, to pray for other people, which is kind of just who, who my wife is. Uh, but I also love this day because uh, the new arrival blessing, man, it was crazy up on this stage earlier, wasn't it? But I loved it. I loved the, the sound of kids. I loved seeing the, the families up here. I, it, it's, it's like, a, I mean, it's beautiful chaos there for a few minutes, but I just felt the presence of God as we were witnessing what was going on. Uh, if you thought that was crazy, you should be in one of our elder meetings. It gets really crazy in there, all right? I mean, dodgeball broke out last month. It was wild. Um, I love this day. Now, I, I know as much as I love this day, and I, um, for some of you up on this stage, I was able to come and, uh, into the hospital. It's one of those hospital visits you love making when there's new creation that came into the world. Uh, and uh, just witnessing babies being born into the world is one of the greatest miracles of God. How God can take something so small and can grow it into, in, in a stomach of a woman, you know, can grow it and bring it into this world. It's just this thing of beauty. Now, I know that there are probably a few of you in here today where you witness this and it's a, you know, it's a beautiful day. You know, it's a gift from God, but some of you, it's a tough day because your children aren't here anymore or children just haven't been able, like it hadn't just hadn't happened in your life yet, or, or it just hasn't happened ever. Uh, it, but thank you for being here. This is a day where we come together to celebrate the gift of life and also what it means to be a church. Uh, so let me take us on a, a quick journey this morning. Uh, I want to talk about Christmas trees just for a moment. I know it's January 22nd, and I also know some of you still have your Christmas trees up in your house. Uh, but as I, was, as I was growing up, we had a tradition in my family. For the first, like, 14 years of my life, our tradition was that right around Thanksgiving, we would get in our Astro van and we would drive to a Christmas tree farm where as a family, my mom, dad, older sister, younger brother, we would walk around, we would find the tree that we wanted, we would cut it, we would watch them wrap that tree up and place it on top of the Astro van. Or later on, my dad got a truck, we would place it in the truck, bring it home, uh, set it up. At times we lived in a house where there was carpet and we knew we would have to vacuum a lot. Sometimes we lived in a house with hardwood floor and we had to sweep up uh, how the tree would fall. We had to water it. Um, but then when I was, and when we did this, like the, me and my, my brother and sister, we would complain the whole time. Like we, we didn't want to go to the Christmas. We thought it was boring going to the farm, cutting down a tree. But then at like the age of 15, my parents decided to do something different, to move away from the real tree and to go to a fake tree. And it was the kids who were like, how dare you do something like this? Like, this is a tradition. We love it. But they made this tradition where even now my mom brings it out of the attic. We set up the tree. The lights are already on the tree. Let me just see a show of hands. How many of you do a real tree in your family? Just a show of hands. All right. How many of you do a, a fake tree, a tree that's not real? All right. We got a lot more of those. All right. And my mom was like, let's just do away from having to go all the way out there. We'll just get a 
one of those trees. We'll set it up every year, and, and that's what we do. Now, whether you do the real tree or the fake tree, you've got to measure. Does it fit in your living room, right? Because we've, a lot of us have seen the, the movie, if you go to the next scene, if you've seen the movie where they're trying to like fit the tree in the living room, Christmas vacation, uh, and it just didn't work, and you don't want something like that. Now, some of you have uh, gone to the, the idea that came out, I, you know, I don't know, a couple of decades ago, like the upside-down Christmas tree. Um, Casey was working at a store uh, about 14 years ago, and she said, I'm, we're selling these at the store, and I thought it was a joke, all right? Uh, but if you have one of these, uh, I'm not saying you're weird. I mean, you, you may be a little weird, but it's, a, it's okay. All of us have a little bit of weirdness in us. And I guess you have the gospel on your side that Jesus created an upside-down kingdom and having an upside-down tree. I don't know. I mean, it, it creates more room in your house. Some people go, if you do this, you do you, all right? Just keep doing what you do. Uh, but no matter what kind of tree you have, fake tree, real tree, upside-down Christmas tree, whatever it may be, um, you decorate the tree. Most likely, you put lights on it. You put, uh, uh, who knows, all the things you put on it, the names of God. You have ornaments. You add on ornaments. Uh, in, in our family, this was a big night. Like, we would play Christmas music, and we would... We would eat Christmas kind of food. I mean, there would be hot chocolate and Christmas food like Oreos and, and Christmas candy and spicy beef jerky and things like that. That's what, that's what we do in our family, huh? Uh, and, and you would spend time decorating the tree. As years go on, you add more and more ornaments to the tree. My grandmother's tree was way worse than what's on the screen right now. And it got to the point where she refused to simplify. She just got another tree next to the tree she already had. <laughs> To add on to that one. Uh, now, how many of you show fans, you're in church, how many of your trees are still up in your house? All right, Can, do we have a, okay, yeah, we got, and, and that's cool. You do you, whatever it takes, all right? Leave it up until December. Again, it doesn't matter, all right? Um, but the thing with Christmas trees is we can put whatever we want on them, and, and a lot of the things we put on them, it says something about us something about faith, about our family, about those who have lost, who are no longer with us. There are things on the tree that represent who we are. Now, some of you have ornaments that may not mean much. We, growing up, sometimes my mom would make ornaments, and they would be cookie ornaments, like gingerbread cookies with the, the red hots as the, you know, the, the buttons on the coat. We went to church one time, and we came home, and our little dog, Rufus, had eaten all of the gingerbread ornaments off the tree and spit every single red hot into a pile. I don't know how he was able to do that, all right, with such precision, but he did, all right? Um, so Christmas trees, I mean, they're for decoration. They stay in our house. And, and whatever you did with your tree, most likely come next Thanksgiving or October, whenever you set yours up, you'll go through the same rhythm all over again. That's one kind of tree. Uh, we also benefit from regularly fruit trees. Now, you may not see these a lot, right, but, but you benefit from them. And uh, whatever fruit you eat at work, at school, you go into Kroger and uh, you see these. Now, now, we live in a time where we're really spoiled and we're entitled in ways we don't even realize. Like, we expect there to be fresh, ripe, yellow bananas 12 months a year, right? And when they're green, it's like, what do my tax dollars go into? Like, buy the steroids, shoot them in the green bananas, make them fresh, you know, whatever it takes, all right? And sometimes we live entitled like that. But fruit trees are trees that maybe you don't see much, but they bear fruit, and they go in and out of season. Like, there are seasons where they're supposed to be ripe, and seasons where they're, like, transforming and preparing for the next harvest. All right, so uh, 
I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. Last week I taught from Mark chapter 4 where uh, we, we learned about the seeds that go into soil. And, and the point of this parable, Jesus tells in Mark 4, about the, the seeds going in the soil is that they're, they're supposed to bear fruit. The point of the seed, the point of you being a seed planted by God and for God isn't just that you don't die. It's not that the seed just doesn't die, that it stays alive. It's that it bears great fruit. It's that it's fruitful. So you have thorns in Mark 4. You have... Um, the rocky ground where there, there are obstacles and trials and tension that's created in life. And because of that, seeds are not fruitful and you're meant to be fruitful. Now, this created a lot of meaningful discussions with some of you. I had some of you find me after church. I uh, talked to some of you throughout the week that, and, and that sermon messed with you. Mark chapter 4 messed with you because it caused you to do some reflection in your life. And some of you came up to me and these were meaningful conversations. But saying things like, Josh, I don't... I don't know if there's fruit in my life right now. Like, I would love to think there's fruit, but I can't see fruit. And I would love to be fruitful, but I can't even think about being fruitful because all of my attention is going to this one area or this one child or or family member who's taking up a lot of my time and energy right now. And some of you, it's hard to think about being fruitful. What Joel described at at the table earlier, sometimes of what it's like to be a parent, you're like pulling your hair out and things are crazy. Like, if you ever have a Sunday morning, especially a Sunday morning, where it's like, man, it would be so much easier not to even try to go to church. Just stay home because it's so chaotic. The moment you get here, you need to realize you're not alone in what happened. This morning, there were a lot of people who felt what Joel described at this table earlier. But we come together because God has called together this church, this multi-generational, multicultural, to share life, do life, share communion, because this edifies us into who we are. Uh, So for those of you who struggle with, is my life bearing fruit or not? It's, It's good for you to like do some real examination in your life. What is that due to? Is, am I rooted properly in God? What, how do I need to establish deeper roots and uh, just spend more time with the Lord so I can be more fruitful? Uh, I spoke at an event three weeks ago, the National Conference of Youth Ministers, and I was in a room with dozens of youth ministers, youth leaders, uh, the spouses of youth ministers who were in that class, and I can't tell you how many times from that room I had people raising a hand and asking questions saying, I don't feel like there's fruit coming from my life or my ministry. So let me throw out just a few things for you. Uh, Number one, God is the one who produces fruit. God grows fruit. This isn't about your effort. It's not about how much you can do for God. God is the one that makes things grow. I want to spend more time on this next Sunday. When we come here, I want to unpack John chapter 15 for us of what it means to abide in Jesus as well as 1 Corinthians 3, uh, where it talks about, hey, we can water and we can plant seeds, but God is the one who makes things grow. Not only that, let me speak a word of affirmation over those in this room who have given their lives to Jesus, who have been baptized into Christ. Uh, There will be fruit that will come from your life, that is coming from your life now. For anyone who has given a life to God, who is loving God, who wants to live in a place where you love God, there is fruit coming from your life, and you will never, ever hear about it. You're not going to hear about it. It's not going to show up on an Excel spreadsheet to show you how you're doing at bearing fruit. And I think specifically of people in this room who are teachers, who stand in front of a lot of people every day wondering if what you do matters. There's fruit coming from your life, and you may never hear about it, and I hope that some of you will go to bed tonight okay with that, that you may never hear about the good that comes from your life. 
But this isn't about us, it's about God. I wrestle with this almost every Sunday. I say in front of hundreds of people, I unpack some of the Bible, I say things about God, I go home wondering, oh, did I get in the way? Uh, did, did what I do matter? Like, did it make a difference in the kingdom? All right, and, and let me throw out one more thing. Uh, when it comes to bearing fruit in our lives, the calling of God on your life, the calling of God on my life is not to be spectacular. It is to be faithful. The calling on our lives is not to become heroes. It's not to be heroic. It's to love God. All right, so you don't have to worry about trying to live a week in which you are spectacular or heroic. It's a life where you are seeking to love God and to be faithful. And I want the children that we prayed over on the stage today, I want them to get that. I want them to understand what it means to grow up in a way where um, we, our expectation on them is not that they are spectacular and heroic and that they do things in life where thousands and thousands of people will recognize and honor it. Some of them may grow up to do that. What we want to do is raise them to love God and to be faithful. Uh, so I guess one way to put it is like this. Are we going to raise our children to be Christmas trees or are we going to raise our children to be fruit trees? Uh, because to raise kids to be Christmas trees, and some of you are going to be like, you are such a Scrooge. How dare you knock Christmas trees like that, all right? I love Christmas trees, and there's a place for them. But are we going to raise our children where we hang things on them? The thing with Christmas trees is they stay in the house. They are for the house, and it's basically show and tell. It's for demonstration. It's for people to see the tree, to acknowledge the tree, to say you did a great tree. Are we going to raise our children to be Christmas trees, or are we going to raise them to be fruit trees? People who are rooted, who have a foundation, who understand what that foundation is, who bear fruit, and sometimes they'll hear about the fruit, and sometimes they won't. Because I think God is trying to raise up the church to invest in kids in a way where it's not that we need you to be spectacular in the world. A couple of years ago, I remember I talked about uh, some phobias. And there's one phobia that is really taken off with the younger generation, with our teenagers. And it's a phobia called a tiki phobia. And this phobia is a fear of failure and letting people down. And what has happened is you have a culture that has placed expectations on a generation to perform, to succeed, and to produce. And the moment they begin to experience any kind of failure, they will never try to take a risk again that may cause them to fail. Do you see how dangerous this can be for a person? Do you see how dangerous this can be for the church? To try to live life where we just play it safe, we don't want to mess up, uh, uh, and the calling of God. Let's, let's raise up a generation to be fruit trees. Okay, let me open up the Bible. Forgive me for going this long without opening the word. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and let me unpack a couple of things for us, all right? Deuteronomy chapter 6, this beautiful place where, I mean, this is, God has just set a bunch of people free from over 400 years of slavery, He's set them free. They've been liberated. They've gone into a new land. And now here is the law that is being given to them. Sometimes we think of law and it has like negative connotations today. But God is offering this way to them like to, to experience freedom. Listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the ordinances that the Lord your God charged me to teach you to observe in the land that you are about to cross into and occupy so that you and your children and your children's children so this is supposed to be for generations and generations that they may fear the Lord your God 
This isn't a be scared of God. This is a reverence, an awe. This is to know your place in the presence of God, know who God is, know who you are. The, the reason you do this for children and your children's children is that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life and to keep all his decrees and his commandments that I am commanding you so that your days may be long, so that your days may be vibrant. So what he's laying in front of them is, look, you keep these rules and you don't keep them just for this, just because God wants you to obey them. You keep them because in keeping them, you are learning what it means for freed people to live a life of freedom. Uh, In verse 3, Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe them diligently, so that it may go well with you, and so that you may multiply greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Now listen to verse 4. I want you to underline this in your Bible. Put a star by it if you do that. Make a note. Spend some time with this. But here's what it says. Hear, O Israel. Like, listen up. I'm about to say something that you need to take note of. So even as Moses is teaching the people this, it's almost like pull out your pen and your pad, get your phone out and take some notes, because this is really important. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. You keep them. Verse 7, you recite them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you are away, when you lie down, when you rise. You bind them as a sign on your hand. You fix them as an emblem on your forehead. You write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You keep them, you remember them, you recite them, you tell them, you place tattoos on your body. Not that God's asking you to really like get ink out and do it, but it's like everywhere your child looks, they should be bumping into the presence and the truth of God. Like you have the task of loving your children in a way that's teaching them how to do this. The church has a task to love the, ch- love the children in a way where we are helping them to exceed in the things that really matter. Because if we're not careful, what happens in our culture is we think to raise a, a child to be productive and to be like to to raise them in the way they should go is that they graduate high school, go to college, and they obey the law, and they don't disobey the law. But the gospel isn't about just raising a child to leave the home and to go get a job and to make money and to try to get out of debt. The gospel is about raising children to love and know the Lord, to raise them in the way they should go, to know God, to know how the gospel is unfolding in their life, to excel in the things that really matter. And Deuteronomy 6 is a truth that plays out throughout the whole Bible. People took this seriously. They remembered it. They recited it all the way into the gospel. Mary, the mother of Jesus, took Deuteronomy 6 seriously. In fact, there are two places in the gospel of Luke. In chapter 2, verse 40, and in chapter 2, verse 52, where it says this. If you go to that next slide. Where in chapter 2, verse 40, it says, The child, this is Jesus, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Verse 52, Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. Verse 40, Jesus was an infant. Verse 52, Jesus was 12 years old. Sometimes I think we get this idea of Jesus like he came as this human, but then whenever God wanted to plant him with knowledge, he just like downloaded stuff into Jesus. And every couple of years, that God would just download him with more information and more wisdom. But reality is that God was raising up women and men to teach his own son 
what it meant to live in the world, to fill them with wisdom and with the word of God. Mary did this. We assume Joseph did it. In verse 12, Jesus is going to the temple, which is something he did every year with his family, where he had women and men pouring the truths of God into him for him to grow in wisdom and in stature. And what God did for Jesus then is what God still does for the children of the world today. In and through the church. Where today isn't just a day for us to look up on a stage and say how cute are the kids who are born into the world. But as a church, it's a day for us to say, just as we do when people are baptized into Christ, for me to witness this means that I now become a part of their journey. How they grow themselves in the ways of the Lord. How we as a church are pointing them to the ways of Christ. And that these children that have been born over the last year and adopted into families over the last year, what we want them to see in us are people who are passionately pursuing the heart of God. So that they will see people who want to be successful in the world, but never in a way where we lose our first love. But that we are rooted in our first love. So I want to ask uh, shepherds and for the prayer leaders who are praying today, would you go? Uh, to those places, I just want the church to see where they are. Because for us to pour into the next generation may mean that what we do today is reflect on our own lives of what it means for us to be rooted in God that where we are bearing fruit for him in the kingdom. So we offer some places for you to go and, and places for you to go for prayer, to receive a word from the Lord. There are times I've gone to prayer leaders and I've gone, I don't really even... I've gone to them before and I've said, I don't even really know what I need you to pray for. I just need you to speak a word of God over me today. So around the room, we have shepherds. We have women to receive you. Up here to my right, Kelly Montgomery, to receive you if there's something you want to bring in front of this church. But can we stand together as a church and let's sing a couple of songs of declaration together.